the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome to What Radicalized You, a podcast of stories and experiences that have shaped people's ideas about our world and the way society should function. So my name is Kayla Kelly and I am a current undergrad at American University. I am the main organizer of Hail to Homies. I started this back in the fall and it has grown tremendously over like the past few months. Through that, I have gained so much like community and it has definitely helped shape and solidify my own radical politics. But my socialization of, I guess, like the white supremacy or just, or just my own understanding has started off in my own household. I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. I was born in a predominantly Black neighborhood that was filled with Jamaican immigrants. Both my family and my neighbors were Jamaican immigrants. And I was attending one of the worst schooling systems in my state. My school was predominantly Black and Latino. And with being a majority Black and Latino school comes with policing of Black and like ethnic bodies. Police officers often hung around my schoolyard and in the hallways. I remember vividly just, I was late to school one time and I was walking down the hallway and this police officer, you know, was following me from a distance to class. And mind you, I was only in around like second or third grade. I mean, I didn't think too much about it at that time because I thought it was their duty to protect. But what harm can a second grader really do to the greater society, really? And so with the policing of our Black bodies and our ethnic bodies, the ISS room often filled up with Black kids. My friends were usually in those rooms and I would barely see them in class because they would be in those rooms. I'm staring at the walls for ever so hours and I didn't think much of it at the time since the media portrayed like that idea of law and order. I just thought that they were trying to enact order amongst me and my peers in order for us to get an education. The negative image that they portrayed us as was enacted by students. You know, like if, if you treat a student a certain way, they will embody it. And that's the same thing with children. If you give a student the impression that they're the best, they would act like the best. But if you treat a student as if they were an up and rising criminal, as a felon, they will enact that sort of behavior to feed into your image because they think that's the life like that was set out for them. And that's the reality for many Black individuals, you know. We're not often seen as doctors, as a typical like capitalist job positions, and more so just working to uphold those white people in power. So through like, quote unquote, lower level jobs or just taking up space in the car source system. So in terms of my school environment, since kids were given the impression that they were quote unquote bad, they often had fights weekly at school over small things and what they have been told by teachers, by the police officers, that they're rambunctious, that they're 
horrible, that they're greedy, that they're this, that they're that. And they, they fed into that image and they role played as that. So my school wasn't the safest, nor was like the best at all in terms of quality rise because our textbooks were also very outdated. They were from the 90s. But my learning still like always extended outside of the school walls because I'm a naturally curious person. So I never really stayed within the boundaries of the school bubble. I wanted to know more than what my teacher was telling me because I felt like there was more out there, but I was often criticized for doing so. My school had a lowest graduation rate of around like the 50th percent. And many of my were victim of the school to prison pipeline. And it felt gross to see my my own peers get thrown in the back of a police car. And I guess that's, that's where like the fear of police came from, being afraid that I might be next. Even if I were to walk down the street with uh, with a friend and like we were just getting ice cream from an ice cream truck, when a police car would drive by, my heart rate would always rise because I thought that I was in trouble, but really I'm just getting an ice cream cone. In terms of home life, I live with immigrants from Jamaica. They moved to the States around the 90s. So, so not too far ago in my childhood, we had a, a sense of solidarity within our own community. Students, like everyone was a immigrant from Jamaica. We often like looked out for each other. So almost everyone in the neighborhood had a community garden. And what they would do often is that they would bring goods from their own garden in order to trade with another neighbor. So what my grandparents did, they grew vegetables and they grew herbs for tea. And then they would switch with someone else who had ginger root or etc to look out for each other and since they were all low income they also like looked out for each other in terms of money because government assistance wasn't really assisting <laughs> but they had that type of solidarity for each other and and that just makes me like realize that you know even like looking back we did many like quote unquote radical things that would challenge the governmental structure but like we didn't really name it as radical. Like we just like named it as just looking out for each other. It was a sense of the solidarity economy, but as most like basic form. So with them being immigrants, they often try to push away from being a radical or like overly political. They wanted to say politically neutral and they were often cautious about upsetting white people. You know, like in the home, we would talk about like, oh, oh, this white individual was being so rude to me at work today, et cetera. And, you know, like when I would ask them, like, what did you do in response? Um, they would be like, oh, I turned the other cheek. And I never felt good with those type of like responses because I was the type of child who wanted like to challenge the narratives. But since Black America often buys into white neoliberalism, that was often looked down upon in my own household. So I refrained from quote-unquote, acting out to white fascism for a while because I didn't want to upset my family. From there, like, I never wanted to upset my family or put them in a situation at all. Since we were targets of white supremacy, there are heavy celebrations of Black first so that, like, they didn't have to pretend anymore in this system. 
because there was a black figurehead in power. So once Obama came into the presidency, that felt like a wave of hope and relief because they believed that their problems with like white co-workers, that them being followed in the grocery stores and just systems of like financial inequalities would be erased by the election of this one black man. And that's the fault with the Democrats in general, because they would try to unfortunately black Americans into believing that their leader is what's best for them. Like we, we allow the oppressor to tell us what's best for us, even after they enact harm against us. And that's weird how we take food from the enemy's hand so willingly, like without any question. And it was easier for them to do so since they had a black man enact their neoliberal agenda. So it was easy for people to do so. Even immediately when I was younger, I didn't think of this as bad because I thought of it as as a chance of opportunity, as a chance to, you know, like finally like challenge the system because, you know, like I was tired of having my TV shows being like predominantly white, of seeing people who who like me on on news channels, etc. Like I felt like this was finally a, a new beginning. I was young. I didn't really know much like that. But my whole like narrative has changed. You know, like with being passive. In 2011, my mother married another black person, of course, and we moved to a white neighborhood in the suburbs. And that's when my whole narrative. And my perspective has changed because I have went from being in a predominantly Black culture, Jamaican culture, a Black area with I'm barely seeing any white people unless I ventured out to the mall to being my whole worldview being white. And with that, it has definitely challenged the way that I see myself because I started doing things that um, that I never thought about, you know, like I thought about straightening my hair so that I can be noticed at school because that's what every kid was doing at school, you know, like had had straight hair. And, you know, I didn't want to be the walking circus for everyone to pet my hair, to look at my skin tone. You know, it started to have some internalized anti-blackness like within myself to look like these people. And that had furthered, you know, with my white centered education. In terms of topics such as slavery or just horrible events, the school books often like portrayed white slavism, where it was often the minority facing harm and struggle and victimization. Whereas the white character in that story, in that um, historical context, was saving everyone, was having prosperity and success. And I found fault into that because even though my previous education system was flawed because of how outdated it was, it still had a sense of Black love and unity within those schooling systems because we all face the same struggle living under white supremacy. My books were often Black-centered. So I gained that self-love at an early age and for it to be challenged in this environment was fairly interesting. With this over glorification of the white sterile complex, it was a lighter flame that ignited in me to be curious to learn more about my own history. But through a liberal view, to satisfy my own immigrant family because as much as I wanted to challenge the system, 
I had that underlying fear that the system might turn against my family. And so my Google searches had been from Malcolm X speeches to Kwame readings to learning about capitalism more. This was all happening like within the early stages of high school to like late middle school. But I didn't put the term radical on it because I still wanted to, in terms of my job prospects, I still wanted to gain money or just raise my social capital within the capitalist system because it was very contradictory. I didn't have a sense of like theory up until like um, now, of course, but back then it was just information for, for me to piece together and to apply to my own life. So it was sort of like me wanting to enact the same caring practices that the Black Panthers have done and then like wanting to be a investor. <laughs> it was very contradictory and, you know, like I didn't realize that until like later on, but like realizing that existing within this capitalist framework felt wrong. It definitely made me question typical things that we never thought of, you know, like in nine to five, because my original job prospects was to be an artist to create spaces for BIPOC. But my parents said, no, like you need to make money. Like you need to provide for us. And then like the demonization of black political leaders and, you know, like my school never mentioning certain things about them, you know, like how Angela Davis was a communist or that MLK was radical towards the end of his life or that like Malcolm X wasn't hateful towards the white people but rather so exposing fascism in the most blunt way. I think what also radicalized me was problems within my own family you know my uncles and my aunt more so my uncles were in like often run-ins with the police and with my own mother she gave birth to my baby brother in 2015. And after she gave birth to him, she had this tumor in her stomach. She continued to push out blood from her like after giving birth. And she told the nurse that something was wrong. And mind you, like my mother is also in the health field. So she knew like what was up. <laughs> and the white nurse said, oh, you're probably having a second child, you know, in a jokingly way, even though my mom knows that it was like only like one boy. And my mom like demanded for the white nurse to call in a doctor to help her. And, you know, if my mom hadn't done that, then I don't think she would have been alive today because what was found inside of her after an emergency surgery, it could have ended her life. And that's when I realized a medical racism and just like racism in general manifests in so many ways. Gaslighting is part of the functionality of white supremacy. It's telling the oppressed that what they know is happening is not happening is part of white violence and this is the formula of the white supremacist system they would identify an enemy so that could be a houseless folk a marginalized communities enact policies and policing systems that inflict pain into the enemy that maintains the white social power blame the pain on the enemies usually having a representative from those communities to convince their audience, like Kamala Harris, and present themselves as the strong men who can fight the enemies. And I saw that happening most often in those certain situations with my family and just the contradictions of white individuals saying that they're for Black lives, but then they would uphold those very systems that would cause my Black life to be at a vulnerable target. 
And so I had these radical tendencies, but wasn't sure on, on how to frame it. And leaving outside my predominantly black bubble and being exposed to whites on liberalism had really changed the narrative for me. And so through self-education, mainly through social media, because social media, like it had exposed me to curiosity of, of like others and to challenge the system in different ways. I wasn't too vocal about it up until 2018, 2019, where I started to challenge my, my own school for their own white supremacy. And, you know, I often held marches at my school. I started to get into police abolition after interning at a law firm in my hometown in Hartford, where I previously lived, with a clientele being vulnerable and just like reminding me of my own family. It just made me want to liberate these folks more because my entire theme is liberation. No one was able to liberate me. I had to undergo that process myself because my family never wanted me to be like where I am currently, just like fighting like fascism weekly by yelling at cops, by going out and marching and providing for the outward community. They wanted me to be passive and to turn other cheek, but they often relied on the law to do so. And that's where like the fault is that is that the problem is often assumed that the eradication of the legal apparatus is equivalent to the abolition of racism. Like racism persists in a framework that that is far more expansive and vast than the legal framework since it's deeply embedded in the structures of our society. It's like we need to develop an analysis that goes beyond an understanding of individual acts of racism and a persecution of individual perpetrators. And so I believe that 2020 has definitely made me put a label on my own political affiliation because before I was just questioning, I didn't put a label on it, but I knew what I wanted. I would say that the rise of white activism in 2020 has definitely made me be more outspoken because white activism, quote unquote, has grown to be even more problematic as they set themselves in discussions about race and diversity and often speak over BIPOC. And this was like more apparent during the presidential election period where these supposed allies coerced members of marginalized communities to vote for only a specific candidate and to misinform those into thinking that voting was the only way to remove fascism from our systems. And now realizing that we live under a repressive capitalist system that works against BIPOC and the working class. These white activists downplay the mixed feelings of these communities who don't wish to choose between the two white supremacists. And concepts like abolition became liberalized in that year. And instead, it's not being seen as a facet of liberation thanks to the rise of white activists. From that point last year, I no longer wanted a white individual to have control over my own narrative. I had that during my childhood and my family had faced that, but I could no longer have them be at the center of my own black story. And so I started to be more on the front lines. So with the mutual aid we have done so far, we have provided clothing for houseless members. We have provided food for the houseless members. We have provided survival items. We have provided medical assistance. We have provided assistance to COVID-19 residents and just overall have framework of, of liberating marginalized communities that are at targets of policing systems and intergenerational trauma.
that is faced in the Black and ethnic communities as a whole. Honestly, that has made me put my my own learning and my own theory into real world action. It's imperative that we do and that, that our activism isn't only occurring like within the academia spaces or just within the virtual organizing spaces because those acts of organizing can only be accessed by a certain audience, your audience, in which it shows that sense of performity and privilege. You're able to post a picture of you with a houseless member and then get praise and likes for it. But are you checking up on that houseless member like right after? That's the thing. What I'm doing currently now, from what I, I haven't done before, is granting these people the type of liberation that I have longed for for so many years. And ripping open the tape that was placed on my mouth to please my white oppressor. And right now, I'm focused on building up the solidarity economy within my own communities and eventually liberating them through education, radical education, and to self-equip them with the tools needed to fight fascism, like whether it's them learning how to approach police to self-defense. If white liberals actually cared about people of color in the working class, they would participate in community aid and direct action to help meet their needs where the state doesn't. Not yell at them how they need to vote so they can go back to brunch. And this is like the difference between liberals and leftists. Liberals are trying to enjoy a fictional performance about their side being heroic, the protagonist, and leftists keep on disrupting that illusion. And so it's important for individuals to be mindful of where their actions are going towards and not in a way to raise their own social capital. It's up to us to have a sense of consciousness arise in our own communities in order for us to defeat fascism because it's not, it's not done by a black messiah or by a special person who will lead us all. It takes a village in order to beat the white master and to take the tools from the white master because soon he'll be out of tools in his drawer if we are able to take them from him.